Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Will the COVID-19 Omicron variant deliver another blow to Ontario's tourism industry? Patients at a local hospital are benefiting from a Surgeon of the Week program. How is Hamilton's safe injection sites doing during the pandemic? We preview Sunday's Eastern Final between the Ticats and Argos. Another big game Wednesday night for Forge FC. And what is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Huge news is the Omicron variant of COVID-19. And the question now is, amongst many questions that are being asked, is will it deliver yet another blow to Ontario's tourism industry? Jim Diodati is the mayor of Niagara Falls and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Jim, good morning. How are you? I'm well. Good morning to you, Rick. Well, just when we all thought that we were making at least some headway against this virus comes the Omicron variant. Is this a gut punch to Niagara Falls and Ontario's tourism industry as a whole? Oh, well, we're, we're just thinking, what's next? The the locust? It seems, you know, we had 9-11, uh, H1N1, Mad Cow, SARS, currency fluctuation, and then, of course, COVID, and, and now it just keeps on mutating and changing. So, I think that that's the frustration and the downside. The upside is, you know, resiliency is built into our DNA. We're used to there always being challenges. We accept the fact that it seems to me that this is here to stay. It's just going to mutate similar to the to the flu, and we need to adapt. And in Niagara Falls, Rick, we started a couple of real unique programs to kind of show our, our preparedness for what's happening with COVID. We've got safetoplay.ca and safetostay.ca, where we've taken our protocol, we've gone beyond protocols so that people know you're safe. When you come to Niagara Falls, the only thing you're going to leave with is some good memories. So what, uh, what's involved in these two websites here? Well, what it is, is simple things that we show. For example, when you want to keep your distance from people, we'll have markings on the floor. We brought an epidemiologist to help us design programs so that our attractions, our restaurants, our hotels have got safety protocols in place so that we're prepared regardless. So forget the, the Omicron or, or even the common cold. We just want to make sure that people feel safe. No one's too close. No one's gathered too tightly so that because, you know, a lot of people are still a little bit nervous regardless. We understand that this is going to be a part of tourism. You have to accept, and as they say, it's risk management. I mean, people die in cars every day. We don't stop driving. And we're saying you can't stop living life. If you've got your vaccines, if you've got your mask, if you're washing your hands and sanitizing, I mean, you're doing all that's reasonable. And I can tell you, tourists are responding on weekends now. Niagara Falls, once again, is hitting capacities. During the week, it's still pretty light. And, and the average room rental, it's getting a little more, you know, uh, reasonable. I mean, it's not high like it once was a few years ago, but it's reasonable. It's definitely a buyer's or a renter's market. It's a great time to travel, and, and especially Niagara Falls. My gosh, we just launched last week the Winter Festival of Lights, 3 million lights, and with this dusting of snow, it's beautiful. And we have our downtown Christmas market, and people are coming out. They're saying, you know what, we're ready to start living life again. And uh, with Omicron or not, we'll keep an eye on it. We're cautiously optimistic. We're saying, hey, keep doing what you've been doing. And I think it's further incentive for people to make sure they get vaccinated. Yes, your message is, uh, listen, Niagara Falls is open for business like any other uh, you know, city or town in this community. And we're not only open for business, but we're open and we're doing things safely as well. 
Exactly. And, you know, just to kind of show the proofs in the pudding, I mean, you'd think because Niagara Falls is the number one leisure destination in Canada, we typically get 14 million people, certainly the lion's share of tourists, that we'd have higher per capita rates of COVID. And that's simply not the case. I mean, in all of Niagara, the, we had 19 yesterday. I mean, our numbers are very reasonable. We're doing a good job, all things considered. And yeah, we're saying it's it's all about risk management. I mean, life is a liability. No one gets out of life alive. Let's make sure we're reasonable, that we're enjoying life, we're taking proper precautions, but enjoy life. We're coming into the, the holy, holiday season. I think we all want to be able to see our loved ones once again. We want to go for Christmas dinners, and we're saying everybody keep doing everything right so we can get on with it and finally get back to life as we enjoy it. Got one more minute here with Jim Diodati, the mayor of Niagara Falls. Ontario marked a grim milestone yesterday with three more deaths related to COVID-19. We've hit 10,000. When you see that number, what comes to mind? Well, I mean, it's sad, and our hearts go out to all the families that have been affected by this. I mean, it's been a huge learning curve it's uh, it's not been uh, it, COVID has not always brought out the best in all people. Some people deal differently with stress, and some people have become angry, and, and unfortunately, some people have passed on. What we're saying is, let's take all reasonable precautions. Let's do everything. Let's encourage people to get vaccinated, but let's enjoy life. Life is short. Let's enjoy what we do have. Mayor Diodati, thank you very much for the time today, and uh, have a good one. Thank you too, Rick. That's Jim Diodati, Mayor of Niagara Falls, joining us um, to talk about the arrival of Omicron, its impact on tourism, and what he is saying is, uh, listen, Niagara Falls is as safe as any destination. Uh, Check out safetoplay.ca or safetostay.ca as well for more information on what Niagara Falls is doing to keep you safe. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is a really interesting story coming out of West Lincoln Memorial Hospital, where patients there are going to be benefiting from the facility's Surgeon of the Week program. And here to tell us about it is Dr. Ved Tandon, Chief of Surgery at West Lincoln Memorial Hospital. Dr. Tandon, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Well, tell us about this Surgeon of the Week program. How did it come to be? It's a really exciting program, and it came to be when uh, the uh, single surgeon at West Lincoln retired, uh, and we were looking to find a way of uh, replacing the surgical services there. And we came up with the concept of having uh, a group of surgeons from Hamilton um, provide the care, and that way patients in, in Grimsby can get the, the same kind of care they would get in downtown Hamilton, but get it at West Lincoln Hospital in many ways. Um, so we have surgeons who are all general surgeons who do uh, a wide variety of general surgery, but also have subspecialty training. Uh, myself, I do a lot of liver and pancreatic surgery. We have others that, that focus on, on breast surgery, others that focus on colon and rectal surgery. And so when we go to Grimsby, uh, we can um, not only provide the sort of basic general surgical care that those patients had always been getting, but also uh, provide some of that subspecialty care to those patients right there in Grimsby, either with procedures or at least at a minimum with, with a consultation. Uh, and if they need a more complex procedure, they can have their, their surgery in Hamilton, but get their, their sort of before and after care right there in Grimsby. So how does this work? Every week there's going to be a new surgeon, and this is just going to rotate for the next few months or, or the next year? Well, we've, we started this program uh, about just over a year ago, so it's been up and running for a while now. And the way it works is we have a surgeon assigned every week, um, and there, there are 10 of us that do it, and we, we rotate through there. Um, we hand over information from surgeon to surgeon so that there is continuity of care. So sometimes a patient will see 
two or three different surgeons over the course of their care, but there's, there's good flow of information so that the, the surgeon that's seeing the patient at the, at the time knows exactly what's going on with that patient. But it also makes, means that there's, there's pretty much always a surgeon there. Um, you know, when you only have one surgeon, that surgeon takes holidays and, and, and things like that, and that's, that's important, uh, and that, that leaves gaps in, in coverage. When you have 10 people, it's pretty easy to make sure that there's a surgeon there every week as long as the operating room is, uh, is open and functioning. Uh, this program certainly came at a great time because with the pandemic here, uh, you know, surgeries being delayed, wait times uh, being what they are, uh, you know, a, 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 a shortage of physicians. Um, how are patients benefiting? What kind of results are you seeing? Well, well, patients really like the fact that they can have their care in Grimsby. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a patient who uh, was referred to our clinic in Grimsby. I saw this, uh, this gentleman, uh, and he had an indication um, for a, an endoscopy procedure, which I did out in Grimsby. And unfortunately, we, we found a tumor in his stomach um, that needed surgery. Now, that's something that's, not, that's a little more than can be, can be done in Grimsby. So he had his surgery in Hamilton. Um, but then after his surgery, when he needed his follow-up visits, uh, he had those done in Grimsby again. And so he didn't have to travel as much. He got the same quality care um, and very efficiently. And, and, and I think that's a real, uh, a real win for the patients in Grimsby. Uh, I really have to thank the, uh, the family physicians uh, in Grimsby. You've got a great group of, uh, of doctors out there who provide family practice and then also work in the emergency department, cover the patients in the hospital, and, and help us with anesthesia uh, for surgery as well. And uh, we couldn't run this program without the, the great support we get from them. I'd imagine this program also uh, you know, provides some peace of mind because people in the Niagara area who would otherwise look to a, a hospital outside their area can now look to West Lincoln Memorial Hospital to say, yeah, I can have my surgery there. Exactly. I mean, people have been having surgery at West Lincoln for a long time. I think what this allows is for them to get a sort of a wider scope of, uh, of services there than they could have, could have had before when there was just one surgeon because one surgeon can only really provide a certain scope of care. Uh, and we've got a, a fantastic uh, team. It's allowed us to, to attract uh, and recruit uh, new nurses. Our, our OR manager, Angela Leslie, there has done a, an amazing job at bringing a, a great team together to support us in, in the operating room uh, and in the clinics and, and around the hospital. Dr. Ved Tendon is our guest, Chief of Surgery at West Lincoln Memorial Hospital. We're talking about patients at that hospital benefiting from the facility's Surgeon of the Week program in which a rotating uh, number of surgeons um, uh, go to the hospital and, and perform surgeries and other duties as well. Where are these surgeons coming from? The surgeons, so West Lincoln is part of Hamilton Health Sciences. So all the surgeons come from either the Jurovinsky Hospital or the Hamilton General Hospital. But the really unique thing about this is, is there, there are lots of models where surgeons go to uh, uh, smaller community hospitals to provide um, what we call itinerant care. They come in, they do procedures, and they leave. Uh, what we do is we go there for the whole week. Uh, we're there all week. We do procedures. We see people in the emergency. We see consultations in clinic. Uh, we see patients that are in the hospital that need surgical consultations. Um, and we cover an after-hours call as well. So we're there providing the same kind of care we would provide in Hamilton. Uh, for the entire week, and then we pass that on to the next surgeon um, to make sure that they know what's, what's, what we've been doing and, and, and can carry on that care with, with uh, sort of a seamless transition for the patients. Dr. Tendon, are there any other hospitals doing this sort of program? Uh, I'm not a, aware of any in Canada. We've been doing a little bit of research to see uh, what, what's out there in the world. This is something we sort of came up with uh, as we were trying to find 
the way to deliver the best quality care for, for patients in Grimsby, and it sort of evolved um, as we as we developed the model. And it's still, you know, it's still in evolution. We're always finding ways to improve it, um, and uh, it, we're really excited about it. Well, given its success to date, I'm sure other hospitals are looking at this model and thinking, hey, we should be doing that as well. I, th- I think there are opportunities for that, you know, all across the country where there are small hospitals. Uh, you know, medical care has changed a lot, and the, the model of the, the solo practitioner in a small setting uh, is, is changing. Um, and uh, this is one way of, of addressing the, the needs of a small community hospital to provide that, uh, that uh, higher quality care that we can provide now. Dr. Tandon, thank you very much for the time. Uh, continued success with the Surgeon of the Week program. Thank you very much, Rick. That's Dr. Ved Tandon, Chief of Surgery at West Lincoln Memorial Hospital, as uh, patients there are now benefiting from this Surgeon of the Week program. And it's a really interesting one where, uh, as you heard, uh, 10 surgeons from places like Juravinsky, uh, Hamilton General Hospital, West Lincoln Memorial Hospital all kind of rotate um, uh, you know, for one-week stretches, providing... Um, obviously operations, they're surgeons, but they also provide uh, the full scope of care for patients. And uh, whether that's consultations um, or just meeting with patients to talk about, you know, their procedures or their options, uh, that that's pretty cool. You know, for, for a region and uh, certainly a hospital that, um, you know, has physicians obviously within its walls to, you know, tap into other experts, other uh, avenues to help patients, that's that's a great idea. Hats off to those who thought of that program, that's for sure. I'm sure other hospitals are thinking the same thing. Hey, we should be doing that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I was, I guess shocked was the word that came to mind yesterday after I read that the first government-approved supervised safe injection site in the U.S. has now opened in New York City. I mean, this just happened. It was a startling, you know, situation as I'm reading this story. I'm, th- I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute here. Just now? Just now this is happening in America? New York City becoming the first government-approved supervised safe injection site in the U.S. Kind of hard to believe. We've had one here in Hamilton for at least a couple of years. Tim McClement is the executive director of the AIDS Network in Hamilton, Halton, Haldeman, Norfolk, and Brandt, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Tim. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm okay. I was, uh, as I said, surprised to learn that the U.S. has just now opened uh, that f- right. that first safe injection site. Uh, the U.S. seems to be behind the times here. Right. Yeah, these sites have been open, and these kinds of programs have been offered um, here in Canada for for many years, and um, especially in Ontario, across the last two governments, um, there's been more um, delivery of those kinds of kinds of programs. Uh, we have a safe injection site uh, in Hamilton. It's been operating, as I said, for a couple of years now. There, there was some hope or, or some plans that a second would open. Is that still the case? Is that on the horizon at, at any point? Yeah. So, so our organization has applied um, has an application in process with the provincial government, with the Ministry of Health, um, to open up uh, a second supervised con- um, consumption and treatment services site, and um, we will also be applying to the federal government um, for approval to have those uh, services operated um, on that site. Is there a, um, a specific location or an area that you're looking at? Yeah, we have a location. Um, the proposed location is at 746 uh, Barton Street East, and that's uh, near Barnsdale. Okay, and the current one is at Rebecca Street, is that correct? That's right. That's where the Hamilton Urban Core Community uh, Health Center is is currently located, but right. they will be under, I understand they will be relocating soon. 
Uh, well, tell us about the benefits of having these facilities in town. Obviously, we have an opioid crisis, an addictions issue. Why are these facilities important? Well, for a number of reasons, but um, one of the first, of course, is with our, in terms of our organization's involvement is the um, reducing in the, sp- the spread of infectious diseases such as HIV and, and hepatitis C. But they provide a, a safe and clean space for people to bring in um, their own drugs to use in the presence of trained staff. And then they offer sort of a range of, of other um, harm reduction services and provide really important access um, to health and social services, including substance use treatment for those who are ready and um, other other supports um, that people may need. We're in discussion with Tim McClement. He's the executive director of the AIDS Network, Hamilton, Holton, Haldeman, Norfolk, and Brandt, and we're talking about safe injection sites in our area. There uh, appears to be still a stigma around these sites, and, you know, my my thought on this is, you know, people with addictions, whether it's opioids or whatever the case, are going to do what they do. Um, why not do it in a safe uh, organized manner. Right. Yeah. That's that's the, the thinking behind, you know, the, these kinds of services is that where um, this is going to, to happen is taking place and um, the intervention is so that we can provide a safe space for that to, to occur, but also to have um, supports available to people who, who uh, may need it. We've heard stories uh, on uh, on air about, um, you know, the ongoing opioid crisis, how it's gotten worse during the pandemic. Are we seeing any evidence of that in our area here? Yes, certainly. We've seen, uh, you know, increases of um, overdoses and deaths um, from opioids. And um, a lot of this is due to the more toxic um, legal drug supply that's come in. And then on top of that, compounding that with the, the um, pandemic is, a lot of people have been experiencing feelings of isolation and uh, more stress and anxiety, and then a limited availability or accessibility of services um, for people who use drugs. Yeah, it's a pretty vicious cycle, especially uh, during the pandemic. How do we turn the tide on this crisis, or, or can we? Is it too late, or is there, is there anything we can do? Well, I think if we continue to, pr- to help provide these kinds of services, the ones that we're we're proposing, and which is an expansion of what we're already doing, I think if those could be provided in more settings. Um, throughout uh, communities where where um, uh, there's a safe space kind of identified and and other supports uh, available to people, I think we can make a difference and continue to to uh, tackle this and get um, saved lives. Basically, Tim McClement is our guest, executive director of the AIDS Network in Hamilton, Halton, Holdman, Norfolk, and Brant. Regarding the pandemic, how have uh, safe injection sites uh, operated? over the last couple of years, I'm, I'm sure there's been some challenges. Well, I, I, I understand that, that, yeah, they've had the, the challenges with um, just with many, many um, healthcare facilities and others, uh, other organizations have had to provide, trying to provide services um, while um, having to uh, look at, you know, the, the guidelines and the physical distancing measures and all those other things that, we, that we've been doing now for the past 20 months or so. Uh, to provide services, but uh, you know things have gotten better with the the uh, vaccinations and and um, you know the, the treatments and so so now it's it's getting better like in terms of providing services. So for example, we are providing services again um, out of our, our our location at 140 um, King Street, and um, you know the other uh, the, many of our partners um, have continued to provide services as well too. And just circling back to the uh, proposed or potential second uh, site in Hamilton and Martin Street, is there a timeline for that at all? 
Um, at this point, we're, we, you know, we would be very close now to submitting our applications, and once those are into the Ministry of Health, then it, the timeline is really up to them. I know that they are not uh, in a, any kind of a delay mode at the moment because of the pandemic. They are proceeding um, with the uh, review of these kinds of applications that's been going on now for, for, for some time. So we're hopeful that maybe by uh, the second sort of quarter of 2022, maybe around April 1st, we might be able to have, if it's approved, we would have um, the site ready. All right. Well, sounds good. Tim, uh, congratulations on that. Uh, best of luck moving forward, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That is Tim McClement. He is the Executive Director of the AIDS Network, Hamilton, Holton, Holdeman, Norfolk, and Branch. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big game on Sunday. It's the Eastern Final at BMO Fields. Tiger Cats. Argonauts, can it get any better than this? I would say no. Mike Hogan is the play-by-play announcer with the Toronto Argonauts and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Top of the morning, Hoagie. Ticats suck. How you doing, Rick? Uh, I think it's pronounced Argo <laughs> suck. I think that's phonetically the proper pronunciation. No, 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 no. But that's fine. Hey, okay. We've got to get the trash talk going early, right? It's playoffs. Hey. Well, this is what it's all about. Absolutely. If you are a CFL fan or if you run the league, uh, like Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, this is a dream Eastern final matchup, isn't it? Yes, and a dream Western final. Yeah. I mean, you've got a great rivalry out there as well, sort of the Banjo Bowl rivalry. So, no, this is this is fantastic, and you know the, what I've, I've I've prayed for for years in in, in our area of the world uh, is about four consecutive Eastern Finals between the Thai Cats and the Argos, and you know uh, something controversial in each game, and just close games and big TV numbers and and filled buildings in uh, in both cities, and I, that would go so far. To, to really helping football in these markets. So the opportunity is here, uh, a big crowd coming on, uh, on, on Sunday. Just, just a, a word of advice. If you're coming from the hammer down to BMO, uh, just make sure you get here early. Uh, just because, you know, you, fans know what it's like going to Tim Hortons and, and you get in there and there's lineups because of the COVID checks. Just just a reminder, if you're coming down, make sure you get here early. Is there, I know this was the case earlier this season at BMO Field, is there still an attendance cap for this game? No, there's not. Okay. Um, but, but what had happened earlier was uh, we had sold the, the tickets uh, specifically to people before the season with social distancing in mind. So some people bought those tickets specifically because they were socially distanced. So we couldn't sell the tickets around them. Uh, people now, when they buy a ticket for the Eastern Final, know that that's not an effect. So uh, the lower bowl is sold out, uh, it looks like, and uh, now the upper deck on the east side, which we never use, is, well, we're using it for this game. So wow. lots of folks heading down from your neck of the woods and lots of people coming out who are not only the diehards but the casual fans in Toronto. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. It's good to see. Let's get to some of the uh, X's and O's. Uh, the Argos have, of course, uh, because they uh, finished first in the East Division, have enjoyed the bye week. Is that going to be a factor in how Toronto plays this Sunday? Uh, that's that's the concern, right? It's the old rest versus rust. Rest versus rust. And uh, for some of the guys, the rust is great. And it looks like we're going to get a couple of bodies back into the lineup uh, who, who may not have played had the game have been last week. Kind of what you're going through with Braylon Addison, right? He wasn't able to play last week. Maybe he's able to go this week. Um, you know, we didn't have to worry about that with with the semifinal. Guys have been given an extra week to rest and and heal up. But yeah, it's uh, the last meaningful game that the Argos played was the win over Hamilton, uh, which is 
I think it's 23 days ago uh, by the time uh, Sunday rolls around. So, uh, you know, I think everybody's a little bit concerned about a slow start, but uh, these guys have all been there before. So uh, it's such a veteran-laden lineup here in Toronto that I don't think that's going to be as much of a factor as some people think. Talking about Ticats, Argos CFL Eastern Final this Sunday at BMO Field with Mike Hogan, the play-by-play announcer of the Toronto Argonauts. One of the great success stories of the 2021 season has been the head coach of the Double Blue. And in his first year, Ryan Dinwiddie has seemingly been able to push all the right buttons. What has gone well for him? Uh, basically, you know, he's he's got everybody to buy in. Uh, people see how hard he works and, and the enthusiasm in, in which he uh, you know, carries himself day to day and, and the guys are listening. And, you know, the, the, the job that he has done with the lineup turnover, because there have been so many injuries on this team. Um, you know, you look at quarterback, uh, Nick Arbuckle was supposed to be the quarterback on this team. He's not. Uh, the, the offensive line, uh, two guys who were supposed to be the starters never played this year. Uh, the, the defense has been just ravaged with injuries. So, 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 so to keep this team together and, and keep winning and have a good enough record to win the East without everybody in the lineup for any games, basically, uh, and, and, you know, the, probably four or five starters on the six-game list every week, uh, it's, it's been a remarkable job uh, keeping this team together and, and, and starting to really get healthy now at the perfect time of the season. I know you're contractually obligated to pick the Argos to win this game, but who do you, <laughs> who, who do you like in the Western Final? Oh boy, you know it's I, I I just I can't bet against Winnipeg. You know I, we're not allowed to bet being employees of the CFL. But yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, it would be difficult to choose against Winnipeg uh, at this stage, especially at home. Um, you know whether they're playing the Ticats or Argos in the Eastern Final or in the Grey Cup. Uh, should should they get that far? Uh, I think that's a that's a great equalizer for whichever team survives at BMO Field on uh, on Sunday. But uh, I, I, I think that the, the Grey Cup is going to be one hell of a game, no matter who gets there, whether it be the Argos or the Ticats. And obviously we're hoping it's the Argos. Yeah, and we're hoping the opposite, but uh, we shall see this <laughs> Sunday. Hoagie, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Love it, Rick. Thanks, Paul. That's Mike Hogan, play-by-play announcer of the Toronto Argonauts. They will host the Hamilton Tiger Cats this Sunday at BMO Field. And you heard from Mike, get there early. COVID checks, traffic, lining up to get uh, uh, you know into the stadium. Uh, get there early. And uh, obviously the gates open 90 minutes before, which is CFL protocol. And that will give you plenty of time to get in. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big night tonight in Honduras. It's Forge FC and CD Mochagua. It is leg number two of their CONCACAF Champions League semifinal. And here to break it down for us is Oliver Platt, an analyst with One Soccer. Good morning, Oliver, and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Hi, Rick. Thank you for having me. So this knockout match comes after Forge and Mochagua played with 2-2 draw at Tim Hortons Field last Wednesday. And in that game, uh, we had a furious late-game comeback by the Hamilton team, including the equalizer in the 94th minute. Should we expect similar fireworks tonight? Uh, quite possibly. When you go down to Honduras, it's always interesting. Um, like I, I think a lot of people would probably written Forge off at 2-0 in that game. Uh, it would have been very, very difficult for them to, to come back from that on the road. But... You see it, you know, time and time again with this team as the, the the only champion of the Canadian Premier League we've had so far, and a team that has done so well in this continental competition as well. Uh, they just don't lie down. So you, even with 
the 2-2 tie, they certainly go in as underdogs tonight. But you, I think we've all learned never to write them off in, in any situation because they continually prove you wrong. Traveling to Central America has always been tough for the visiting team. Forge will more than be deserving if it can pull out a result tonight. Yeah, they will, exactly. And, you know, going down to some of these countries for, for club teams and for the Canadian national teams over the years has been incredibly difficult and at times you know no, nothing short of embarrassing some of the results that we've had down there obviously fans of the national team will, will be familiar with that and what's great to see is that starting to change and you have this big story right now of the, the Canadian men's national team and what they're doing in World Cup qualifying um, but maybe on a slightly smaller scale what Forge have done in this competition you know a, a third year team in the third year of their existence in the CPL to be going to places like Costa Rica and El Salvador and Panama and consistently getting results is, is pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, and it may not get as much hyper attention as the national team, but the, the kind of story they're writing on their own is pretty special as well. Why have those Central American road trips, if you will, been tough? Is it the style of play? Is it the talent level? Is it the conditions, the, the playing field? Or is it everything? Yeah, all of the above, really. Um, I, I think the, the circumstances down there can be really difficult. The condition of the fields aren't always great. The crowds are really intense and, and make life difficult for you. It can be very intimidating to go to some of those stadiums. But I, I think also there's been a, it's been something of a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy because I think a lot of Canadian teams have gone down there uh, you know, worrying about what it's going to be like and, and changing the way they play to just try and get a draw or try and grind something out and what we're seeing now, again, when you look at the Canadian team and also Forge is, you know, Forge's coach, Bobby Simoniotis, he, he doesn't make any changes whether his team is playing home or away. You know, it's it's still soccer. It's still 22 players. The field is, you know, roughly the same size everywhere you go. And he puts his team out there and, and, and plays the game. They play at Tim Hortons Field in some of these difficult places. And that's something that I don't think we've seen from Canadian teams before. We have seen, as I said, even before they really set foot on the pitch, a bit of a fear of going to these places. And, and Forge have eliminated that. You know, they're going to be themselves. They're going to play their game to their strengths. You know, and, and, and that there's certain elements of risk with, risk in that because they may be more attacking and maybe open themselves up a bit more than than teams might have done in the past. But I think that's what you've got to do. You have to take risk. You have to, you know, play your own game and, and have confidence that that is going to be good enough. And, you know, consistently for Forge, it has been. Uh, I wish I had more time, but we'll have to leave it there and uh, discuss this Sunday's uh, CPL championship between Forge FC and Pacific FC to another time. Oliver, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. No worries. That is One Soccer analyst Oliver Platt. You can watch tonight's CONCACAF Champions League semifinal at onesoccer.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So what is ultimately the best Christmas movie of all time. It's a debate that has raged on for, well, ever since we've had Christmas movies. Why not ask an expert? And that man's name is Robert Thompson. He's the founding director of the Blyer Center for TV and Popular Culture at Syracuse University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Robert, how are you? I'm pretty good, and I am looking at your brackets right now, and this is going to cause nothing but trouble. I know. The selection committee has left off a couple of notable entries, Die Hard and Love Actually. So before we get to best Christmas movie of all time, where do you stand on this decision? Well, they, uh, these are two top-seeded, so th- this, is, this is a rough one, because uh, the, to me, It's a Wonderful Life and a Christmas Story could very uh, well have ended up in the championship, the mm-hmm. final two. 
um, and we've got to choose one right off the uh, uh, right off the top. I see what the results so far are um, uh, with people who have voted. You know, It's a Wonderful Life has been for so many years considered the greatest uh, uh, Christmas movie ever, but I have to say I'm going to go with a Christmas story on this one. That's that's where I voted as well. It is, it's a classic Christmas movie that has so many different elements, tugs at the heartstrings, brings you back to your childhood, uh, makes you think of your adulthood on Christmas. Um, you know, the presents, the, the whole story is just a great one. Having to eliminate one of these right off the bat is... Uh, uh, um, it's heartbreaking. Right. It's, uh, again, this was by random order, and we saw when we saw the results, we thought, oh, no, what have we done? But we've gone with it. Yes, one titan on the uh, Christmas movie list is going to be dropped on day one, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, where do you stand on the Die Hard Love, actually? Are they, are they Christmas movies? Uh, yeah, I, I, I will call them Christmas movies. I mean, they don't have the sense of uh, uh, being all about. For example, I'm looking at uh, what, what do you guys have? Um, uh, Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. Home Alone, like Die Hard, Love Actually. I would call them Christmas movies. But between Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas uh, uh, Vacation, National Lampoon, you really, that movie is about Christmas. There's the lights, there's the family, there's all of this uh, um, uh, stuff. Uh, Whereas Home Alone, a great movie, and it's set during Christmas, but uh, you can go through long stretches laughing hysterically at that movie and forget that it's set at Christmas. Very true. What makes a good Christmas movie? Well, I think it's different than how we normally judge other movies, which are by much more pretentious, artistic sorts of uh, ways. I think a Christmas movie really wants to, you, you want it to have a little bit of schmaltz, you want it to be uh, uh, a, a little bit melodramatic, nostalgic. Uh, even a movie like Bad Santa, which is in so many ways against all of the usual sentimentality of Christmas, <laughs> it, it gives you its, its schmaltz. You've got to wait for it, and it's... Uh, 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 a different kind, but uh, I, I think in in the in the end we want kind of a, uh, if if a tear doesn't fall out of nostalgia or uh, melodrama or something, I'm not sure it's really a Christmas movie. Yeah, Robert Thompson is our guest. He's the founding director of the Blyer Center for Television and Popular Culture at Syracuse University. We're talking about the best Christmas movies of all time on day one of our Good Morning Hamilton Christmas Movie Madness. You can vote for your favorite flick today at 900CHML.com. The first round matchup is an epic tilt between It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Story. When you look at all the list of, or all the movies on this list, whether it's A Christmas Carol, uh, The Santa Claus, White Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a lot of them were made and produced and uh, obviously shown on screens years ago. There isn't uh, many cases in which we can point to a recent Christmas movie to say that one there is a classic. Yeah, well, and part of that, I guess, is the definition of classic, which means it's been around for a long time. A couple of generations or more have uh, uh, have viewed it. So when we talk about classics, I guess almost by definition, it's got to be um, uh, it, it's got to be older. Um, I'm also uh, interested to see that uh, there's quite a bit of television on this as well, mm-hmm. um, which which I agree with. In fact, in the end, my bracket has the uh, champion of a show that was made for television, and all those shows that were. Uh, I think every show made for television on this list were all made within about three years in the mid-60s. <laughs> uh, 
uh, uh, Grinch, Rudolph, and uh, Charlie Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. Rudolph was 64, Charlie Brown was 65, and I think Grinch was 66. This is, uh, you know... Uh, these are during the Johnson administration in many cases. <laughs> but they've, they've stood the test of time. So you have one yeah, of those going all the way? Brown ending up taking it all in my bracket. Wow. Why is that? It's so efficient. It's so short. It's got that really beautiful uh, uh, ending to it. Um, uh, and everybody, it, it's been around. It's always, uh, uh, it's always in front of us. Um, uh, you, you almost have to see it every year. There are some things, new ones, though. Uh, I think uh, Black Nativity is currently my favorite Christmas uh, movie of all time, based on the Langston Hughes play, um, a great cast. That was 2013. And uh, Martin Freeman, who we know from uh, you know Marvel movies and the, off- the British office and everything, he did a movie called uh, Nativity! Exclamation Point, which had, I think, three spinoffs. Those, that started in 2009. Uh, those are hilarious as well, but everybody's got their movies that are on the brackets, so I won't get into that. Bob, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us and uh, sharing uh, your insight into the uh, holiday favorites that uh, are, bo- are before us uh, now. We will keep an eye on your pick, Charlie Brown Christmas, to go all the way, and we'll see if that happens. Thanks for the time I'll be today. watching with enthusiasm. <laughs> enjoy your day. Enjoy your holidays. You too, thanks. That is Robert Thompson, founding director of the Blyer Center for TV and Popular Culture at Syracuse University. His pick is a Charlie Brown Christmas. My pick comes from that same side of the graph, uh, the bracket, which I think the left side is, they have the heavy hitters. It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story, today's matchup, Miracle on 34th Street, that's a big one, A Charlie Brown Christmas, Robert's Pick, Elf, Rudolph, Home Alone, and my pick to go all the way, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I'm not necessarily saying that's my favorite movie of all time, but that's my pick. That's who I think you, the listeners, are going to go with to uh, march all the way as a champion of the GMH Christmas Movie Madness. Vote now, vote often. You have until today, the end of today, to vote on It's a Wonderful Life versus A Christmas Story. We will announce the winner tomorrow on Good Morning Hamilton. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.